God has in dealing with the protection that God gives his people, his men, his children. And tonight we'll see the protection of the Apostle Paul through the hand or power of God. So Acts chapter 23, I'll get turned on here. Acts chapter 23, and we'll be dealing with verses 12 uh, through 35. I don't know if I'll read all those verses, but that's actually where this outline will take us. If you look at verse 11, we dealt with verse 11. Look at that, and we'll start with that, and we'll read down a few verses, then we'll pray. Verse 11, Acts chapter 23, the Bible says, In the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. In verse 12, And when it was day, uh, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse, that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Verse 15, Now therefore ye with the counsel signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or... Over he came near, uh, or ever we ca- he came near, already to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of the lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we bow before you again t- uh, this evening. And Father, we ask that uh, you'd be with this message. And Father, I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for those that have come out. Now be with them. And I pray that you give us liberty to, uh, Father, see uh, light from your word. And Father, we see your power working. Uh, so many years ago in the Apostle Paul, Father, it still works today in our, in our lives. And Father, in our situations. And Father, with our struggles and our difficulties. And I, fr- I pray that, Father, we not lose sight of that. Allow your Holy Spirit to have his will and his way in our hearts this evening. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here uh, this evening we'll look at uh, these verses and then a little bit more uh, dealing with what's going to take place with the Apostle Paul. And we have seen uh, time and time again consistently that this uh, persecution, uh, this uh, difficulty... Uh, there's always going to be this in ministry and it would follow the apostle Paul. And some of these were the same men that uh, give him trouble in the small towns and places that he would go when he started churches and he would start a work and he'd start a church. And then here would, here would come the persecution or the, we call it the opposition. And so you'll, you're going to have that. And so here we're seeing it, but here it gets quite a bit, it, it's serious. They have made a curse. They've bound themselves together with a curse to, to take Paul's life. And uh, this is what's going on. Previously, we saw, that's why I wanted to read verse 11, but previously we saw that uh, Paul was in Jerusalem under Roman protection and the Lord was with him. That's what was going on in verse 11. You will uh, also recall there was an angry mob outside the prison that truly wanted Paul to die. We're going to look at the plan of the persecution. We're going to see the provision of the Lord. And thirdly, the protection for his servant. 
the protection for his servant. Let's look at the plan of persecution. We've kind of read through it through verses 15. We read down to verse 16. But let me say this. This plan was radical. If you look at this, I've called it radical. But if you look that they were bound, it says under, verse 14, under a great curse. Verse 14, the latter part of it, he said they were under a great curse and, and that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. The very people that Paul loved so much, the, the Jewish, the nation of Israel, the, the, his people that he loved so much, those of whom he was willing to die, uh, and he even said go to hell to see them saved, said that they would kill him. These were the people that were after him. Let's turn to Romans. Turn to the right there. Look at Romans chapter 9. And as we look at this plan and what the Apostle Paul said about his people and what he was willing to go to to see that they would, uh, they would reach Christ or Christ would reach them. And he says here, Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could, uh, could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So these are the verses that uh, I draw to when I look at this. He loved these people. He loved his own people, the, the Jewish or the, the Jews there, the nation of Israel. And he said he said he would, uh, uh, he said my, he said, verse three, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. And so that's what he's speaking of here, that he was willing to do that the, the Jewish people would come to know them or come to know Christ. So often the people you love and I love uh, uh, are the most ones that can turn on you. <laughs> As Judas turned on Jesus, uh, we cannot allow the disappointment and discouragement of those who turned against us to cause us to quit following Christ. A lot of times when that happens, we kind of like, I just don't want anything to do with this. My life, I just can't handle this. Well, you probably are right in your own power. But in God's power, God says, look, you need to continue on. I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the power to get through this. Even when family, when friends, uh, whatever have you, forsake you or turn on you. And so here the Apostle Paul, his own countrymen, uh, the Jewish people, these are the very same people that uh, he was getting letters from to help men and women uh, to be per persecuted for preaching in Jesus' name before he was his conversion. He knew these people, and they knew him. They were after him because they knew there had a, 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 play, a change had taken place in his life, and so uh, they were definitely after him. They didn't like what he was preaching or what he was saying uh, because there was a difference being made. And he still loved them. He didn't resent them or hate them and say, well, I, I wish God would just curse every one of them. No, he didn't say that at all. He loved them. Uh, and so it shows forth. But we see this, this radical plan. We see an approved religious ruler. It was approved by religious rulers. Let me say this. Note, Satan is the father of all false religion, according to this Bible. And Jesus uh, denounces false religion. Let's look at what he does. And so this false religion that was being denounced, that's what they didn't like. The Apostle Paul was saying, look, we don't need this Judaism taught or preached. It's not right. Jesus Christ needs to be preached and proclaimed. That is right. Boy, they just didn't like that because it messed their whole system, their whole little religious world up. And uh, they weren't going to stand for it. Now notice what Jesus does. 
Uh, you say, well, Jesus gives everybody a pass. Jesus is love. He's all, he is of love. And we looked at that this morning. But our context and definition of the love versus Jesus or God's context of love is drastically different. Religion's going to paint it out that Jesus is full of love, so everything goes. Well, that's not actually what you get from, from Scripture. Jesus loves, and so he gave his only begotten son. He loves you not to allow you to go into eternity and die and go to a devil's hell. All right? The sin, that's why he's against sin. Uh, he, can't, he can't abide with sin. So something had to happen. John chapter 8, let's see what Jesus says. John chapter 8 and verse uh, 42, John chapter 8 and verse 42, Jesus said unto them, if God were my, your father, here he's in a uh, dissertation or an argument with these uh, same folks. He said, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and come from God, neither came, came I of myself, but he sent me. Let me say this. What he was saying is the same thing we've been looking at when in 1 John when we dealt with people do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus isn't God. Well, anybody that professes that, remember we were on discernment, discernment, discerning good and evil, and being able to see if something is of God or is uh, not of God, uh, discerning through the Spirit of God. Same thing here. Number one, you learn that anybody that does not believe that Jesus Christ or profess that Jesus Christ is God, there's something wrong with them. This is what Jesus was saying. He said, look, if you uh, if you knew my father, or if God were your father, you would love me. So you know automatically those that don't really stand on the doctrine or stand on that Jesus Christ is God, you need to get away from. They're not of God. They can be packing five Bibles and have a three-piece suit on and preach in a church, be a pastor of a church, be evangelist, be whatever. It doesn't matter what denomination. But if they do not believe that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God or God himself, then you got a problem. And this is what he was saying to him. Let's see what happens. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Uh, so he says in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. He says, ye are of your father. The What's he say there? devil and the lust of your father ye will do now i see something here and i'm just picking it up these guys not only believe this believe this false but they were willing they had action with what they were doing he says the lust of your father ye will do it's ironically it's funny it strikes me funny uh, that you got people like this they have a zeal unto ungodliness. They have a zeal to erring to, to wrong. They have a zeal for the things of the flesh, the things of the world. They justify it six ways from Sunday. I'm speaking of Christians, so-called Christian believers, uh, and they're, they're struggling here. And he says, look, the lust of your, your father ye will do. He goes on. He, he explains, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. That's something you need to know about your adversary. There's absolutely no truth in him. Uh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Notice verse 45. And because I tell you the, say it with me, truth, you believe me not. Don't think for a moment Jesus Christ wasn't speaking truth here about Satan and his followers. He definitely was. I'm going to take you to another place. We're in John, John chapter 8. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to make some continuity with Scripture and give a better sense of what we're looking at tonight. Dealing with, yeah, it was approved by religious rulers. I'm going to tell you your biggest uh, difficulties and struggles are going to be with religious folk. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. I like the illustration, and I was talking, I think it was Brother Nick uh, and some of the other men dealing with the illustration that uh, Brother Phil, Pastor Phil used the other evening about, uh, I think it was in Sunday school uh, last week, about a man that I knew, even as a young boy, Weldon Jones. He was stoned, tempted to stone him. At, what was the town called? La Plan, Mexico. Guadalajara. All right. And uh, that would have probably happened, I would say, in the mid to late 60s, somewhere around there. 70s. All right. And uh, you say, well, man, it was the town folk that were upset with him. No, it was four priests that come out of the Catholic Church right in that town that begin to stone him. And so you say, that didn't ha- that happened. That happened. And so you say, man, that's crazy. Look, you need to spend some time with some missionaries that are, have been on the foreign field. Their problem don't come from the regular folk. It comes from religious, religious folk, religious people. And so uh, you think here in America, nobody's really super zealous, but in other countries, they're extremely zealous. And uh, here's some horror stories come from religious people. Right here, we're dealing with this in a, church, in, a, in a Bible setting. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I want to read verses 13 through 15. He says this about false apostles. For such are false apostles. Don't ever, ever... I think he says in one place, be not deceived. And I could say that tonight. Somebody calls themselves an apostle. Matter, the first thing you need to know is that they have seen the physical resurrected Savior with their own eyes. It means they could take a picture of it like that. Not in a dream, not sleeping, not eating four pizzas and going to bed and getting a vision. I mean physically seen. That was one of the proofs of an actual apostle. Apostle not only works one of the miracles, he works all nine gifts at any given time. One of those gifts is raising the dead. First thing, one of the things I ask him, why don't we go to the children's hospital and go to work down there and we'll just do some healing. We won't even worry about the dead. We'll heal the sick children that are down there. And it falls apart. Of course, that's never happened. Here, watch this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. Deceitful workers? You mean they're not, they're not just regular workers? Look, look, they're deceitful workers, transforming themselves. Shape changers. He said, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Right there. Transform. Look at the word up. Transforming themselves into what kind of apostle? Apostle of Christ. Why would they want to, why would you want to mimic Christ? You only mimic Christ if you're being deceptive. Never have anybody mimicking the devil or his crowd. It never goes that way. Think about it. You always mimic Christ and the things that he has. Always mimic something that always has a standard or something that's given. You always think we're on versions in Sunday school. All these new versions, guess what they compare themselves to? Always to the king. They never compare themselves to the NIV, not to the RSV, the NSV, the ASV. They don't compare themselves to those. They always compare themselves to, guess what? One clue. This one. Why is it this one? Think about it. All right, so here, these apostles, they're deceitful, and they, they're, they're wanting to, uh, it says they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now watch this, verse 14, here's, here's, this is good doctrine here, good insight, and no marvel. Don't let this surprise you. 
all right, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed. There he is. He's a shape changer into an angel of light. Verse 15, therefore, because you know this, because we're saying this, because we're teaching this, therefore it is no great thing if his, say it with me, ministers also be transformed as the ministers of, say it with me, righteousness. We're not talking about somebody, you ever, everybody watch the news? I don't watch a lot of news. I read very, very little of it. If I'm going to take in news, I'm going to read it. Uh, I rarely do I watch something, a clip or something, but there are, I see these clips come through the news, Satan, the church of Satan, and they're up there doing their thing. It's incredible, incredible in the fact that I cannot believe they're actually, they're, they're bold about it. Yes, we're worshiping Satan. They have their little preaching segment. They have a lot of music. Watch that. If you don't think Satan doesn't have his music, you got another thought coming. Identify Satan's music discerning both good and evil, you better be able to. And so these, these Satans, these words, you say, well, that's who he's talking about. No, they already know they're with Satan. These folks right here that they're talking about here, they, they want to ch- transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, apostles of Christ, it says. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I'm amazed at people, Christians, with that. I just can't believe that would happen. I'm like, hey, <laughs> the Bible says it. I believe the Bible. Uh, it happens. Um, we've had some come through here years gone by. And so you say, do they line up with the word? No, they line up about right there, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 13 or 11, verse 13 and 15. Here, this was all approved by religious leaders, the apostle Paul. So they, he would, they were about to kill him. They'd set a curse upon themselves. But we're going to see something transform here. Watch Acts and you, you look at Acts chapter 23, back in our text. Let's get back to point here. Uh, you say, why do you cover that? I cover that because uh, it seems to lose traction in our hearts and minds of Christian people that want to be solid for God, that want to live consistent Christian lives, also be good at being able to discern something that isn't quite true. And I'm amazed at the discernment level of Christians today. It wasn't like that 50 years ago. They'd be called out right on the spot with something that wasn't right, something that wasn't being taught right or preached right. And so we kind of lose sight of that today. I don't know if it's to get along. I doubt that because we're not really getting along. I don't know if it's a pacifism, relative truth. Some type of spirit allows it to pass. And it shouldn't get a pass. Here, uh, we're bringing it up here in Acts chapter 23. Now look, secondly, we see the provision of the Lord. Notice verse 16. It says, and when Paul's sister, I'm going to put these cheaters on. Uh, it says, and when Paul's sister's son heard of the line in wait, he went and entered into the castle and, and told Paul. Now watch verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. And so we see here, let's read on down. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him and praying, or prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately. Uh, and he says here and ask him, what is, thou, what is that that thou hast to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they were inquire some 
somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath, that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee." So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See that thou tell no man that thou hast shewed these things unto me. We see here it's a simple thing for God to bring uh, to naught the plans of the wicked. There are plans that uh, might you think would be in the best interest of the church, best interest of the brothers or sisters. But listen, let me tell you something. If it's not of God, God's listening, God's watching. And God looks at the motive of people's heart. Uh, and so if the, the motive isn't pure or right towards him, God a lot of times will bring that to naught because it doesn't reap right fruit. It doesn't bring a goodness about God's work. It brings a bad name, a slander on God's name. God's not for that. Watch what happens. And here, these men were plotting against a man of God, uh, the apostle, an apostle, Apostle Paul. And so we see here that God brings this to naught. God has the power uh, through his divine power to be able to change or to work in this midst. Now watch this. We have this provision of God, a faithful nephew we see. Paul has some Christian family members, and his nephew stumbled across the details of the plot. Now, Paul's nephew was apparently a small boy who would seem insignificant to uh, those that were plotting uh, this, uh, this murder. <laughs> That's what was going on. Uh, and so he, he had gone unnoticed. So apparently he wasn't that important. Uh, let me say this. This is just one more demonstration of the truth that runs through Scripture. God can and will use anyone. He said, a little boy... Uh, a little girl, uh, an old person, a young person, a middle-aged person. He'll use anybody if you're willing to be used. But you have to be willing to be used. Yeah, you can be faithful. You can be available. But if you're not teachable, you're not going to go far. And so here, this young man was willing to be used, and he followed the orders that the Apostle Paul had given him. So we see uh, the fearful Roman captain. Let's uh, look at him. He gets this information, uh, and he considered Paul's plight. He knew he had to get Paul out of Jerusalem. This was a fact. Uh, there would be, uh, you know, there's, they were going to... They were going to take the Apostle Paul's life. I like the verse that thought, I thought of this and I wrote it down. Proverbs 21.1 and it says this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. Uh, God is definitely in charge in the fact that he wants to watch out for his children. For his men, for his women, uh, especially in ministry. And so we see uh, here as God begins to work. Thirdly, let's look at our last point. The protection uh, for his servants. Look at verse 23 now. I think we will read some of this here. Now watch this. And he called unto him two centurions saying, uh, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea and horsemen, three score and 10 and spearmen, 200. Well, he wasn't taking any chances here. And the third, uh, third hour of the night, uh, so that was going to be kind of in the, towards the middle of the night, verse 24, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner. And he begins to write this letter uh, dealing with this. I thought this was pretty neat. I thought of Daniel chapter 4, 
Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, it says this, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? That's the God that we serve. That's the God, by the way, is in charge of your life if you let him. That's the God that'll be in charge, the God, God that will be in charge of your difficulties or your struggles or your storms. And so this is the same God, and he's looking out for the Apostle Paul here. And I notice here, the captain ordered a total of 470 soldiers to protect the Apostle Paul. That's a lot of soldiers. Uh, we see something else. The Roman captain was trying to get Paul safely from Jerusalem. Let's get him out of Jerusalem. And so we see that he writes this letter. So let's get into this letter. Uh, let's see if I can write here. So he writes one uh, to Felix. He says, Claudius uh, Laesus, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greetings. So it has an inscription of what he wrote. So let's read it. Verse 27, This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army okay, and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known uh, the cause wherefore they accused him, uh, I brought him forth into their, into their council. When I perceived to be accused of questionings of their law, uh, questions of their law, but to have... Nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the, for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. So that was kind of a short letter. And uh, we see what he wrote there. So we see here that we have letters. Note the captain avoided making a final decision himself by referring uh, the cause to a higher court. Uh, he viewed it as a local Jewish squabble that would end badly no matter what he decided. So you say, was God involved here? I believe God was involved here. Paul's a Roman citizen and it gave him the protection of the Roman laws uh, and army. And so that's what takes place here. I thought it kind of funny, strikingly, when he was in the Sanhedrin council, this is the same council that's trying to take his life, and he perceived that the Pharisees and Sadducees, him, uh, Paul, being a Pharisee, a formal Pharisee, knew the doctrinal differences between the two sects that made up that council. And that uh, was amazing how he kind of got out of that one without them killing him. And so here, now they're going to have to move him from Jerusalem, and they do. And we see this. Let me say this. Paul uh, did reach Caesarea safely, and he would be kept there for two, the next two years. During that time, he would have opportunity to witness to a number of important political people uh, of that time and would be safe from the plots against his life. And he began to write his epistles and stuff. So God definitely protected him. And we see that uh, this is what takes place at the end of this chapter. And so we see here the protection of the Apostle Paul. I want to share one more verse and we'll wrap this up. Psalms 91. Psalms 91. We'll look, look at a verse here dealing with what's going on. Psalms 91. If you don't think God's in charge... The Bible corrects that, that thinking. And there, there's times, there's been times in my life where, man, I'm thinking, God, where are you at? <laughs> God, I, I need you. What's going on? And it's like, man, this is coming down to the wire. And so uh, God's there. 
God, uh, God, God isn't, he doesn't have meanness in him like we think that, you know, we think he has meanness in him, like just let us squirm. No, there's a perfect time. God's watching out. He knows. He knows everything. So we see here Psalms 91 verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Verse 3, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. In verse 4, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now verse 5, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day. Now, that, that, that writer there was speaking from the inspiration of God. That is true. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that was here in the Apostle Paul's life and what he was going through, what he was experiencing. I'm telling you tonight, the same God that was there is the same God here, and he's in each, and one, each, one, each one of our lives. He knows what's going on. He knows the need. He knows the struggle. He knows the problems. He knows right where you're at. And he is not inactive. He is actively working in your life. Uh, now, our mind, our heart, our knowledge, uh, our depth, you might say, doesn't know everything. We can, we can imagine things that the Bible tells us not to imagine. We can think some things that the Bible tells us not to think. Uh, and generally, those things are not good things. We think the worst. We imagine the worst. This might happen. That might happen. Well, God's in control. Doesn't mean to willy-nilly anything out. But you have a God that knows and is watching. He knows everything. And so tonight, just like the Apostle Paul, he said, man, oh, he's in prison for two years. Yeah, but he don't have to worry about anybody taking his life. And now he's concentrating on what God really wants him to do and to write. He wants him to write. And so uh, he knows his life is coming to an end, but not until God pulls the trigger. Let's all stand tonight. The protection of the Apostle Paul, you can put your name in there. The protection of your name. Because God is in, in control of your life. If you're saved here tonight. If you go on to read in Psalms 91 on down. You'll see that God delights in protecting his children. God delights in pulling his people out, out of, like as a refuge. That's what God wants to do to show his hands strong. So God isn't just waiting around like, man, i got to do this again. God wants to because it gives God glory. And that's what we should be about. Brother Jeff, what do we sing tonight? We'll sing 324. 324.